The Web Delix podcast exists to educate, illuminate, and inform. It does not provide medical advice or recommendations as to any course of treatment, mental health or otherwise. You should always consult with a physician or other licensed healthcare professional, mental health or otherwise, before pursuing any personal growth program or course of treatment. The future of mental health treatment and peak performance enhancement is here. Welcome to the WebDelix podcast, brought to you by WebDelix, your trusted resource for plant medicine information on the web. By sharing real stories, expert interviews, and honest conversations, we're here to go beyond the myths and get to the truth. Here's your host, Scott Mason. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the WebDelix podcast, where we're on a journey to find out the truth about plant medicines and psychedelics, to get rid of the myths and change the narrative. I am your host, Scott Mason, and with us today is a very special guest, the one and only Charles Patty. Charles, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Scott. I really appreciate the opportunity. We are thrilled to have you with us today. Charles, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do for a living. So... I am the chief brand officer at Myself Wellness in Bonita Springs, Florida. We are a psychedelic ketamine therapy center. We do psychedelic ketamine therapy, medical cannabis referrals, psychiatry, but we really teach people about meditation and breath work and healthy lifestyle changes, which is the real recipe for long-term success with everything else that we do. We actually started the company because psychedelic medicine saved my life. So, you know, we're very passionate about what we do here, and we are having amazing results with helping people heal through the process of using ketamine therapy. Fascinating. And I cannot wait to learn more about what you do and how you got there. Today's topic is making psychedelics available across economic lines. In other words, making psychedelic treatment for mental health and other situations that folks might find themselves in available not just to the rich, but to people who are poor too. And yo, Charles, I've been pretty poor at some points in my life. I really feel like this topic is important to address because not everyone is a multimillionaire tech maestro. Some of us just have workaday jobs or some of us may go through hard times. We may be traumatized and we might not necessarily be able to afford to go to some fancy retreat somewhere. Uh, so I want to know a lot about what you have to say about this. But before we get into that, I just have to start the episode with something that's when we did our pre-show interview, you said something that was, I'll be honest with you, Charles, it was shocking. And I'm going to repeat it. And then I'm going to ask if you can just confirm that what I heard was actually true. You said you were addicted to alcohol at age six. Did I hear you? Yeah, you did. My father had passed away when I was six. And it was very normal for the like my with my family and my grandparents and my, you know, my mother where if you were a kid at the dinner table, they would give you, you know, like a glass of wine and be like, you know, here, have a have a sip of wine and try the wine. And I felt this sense of relief, like instantly. It was this missing link. And it was because I was incredibly depressed, full of anxiety. I was grieving the loss of my father. 
And when I had that sense of relief, I was like, oh, okay, like this is what I need in my life. This is what's going to fix me. It's going to make me feel better. It started off with alcohol and it was just to escape. It was escape my feelings. I, you know, I didn't know how to process things. I didn't know how to go through it. And I know it's incredibly young, but it's just my story. And then I started journeying on to other substances. When I was around, you know, 14, I started using cocaine. Uh, when by the time I was 14 and 15, I was taking pain pills and Xanax and things like that. And, you know, by the time I was about, you know, in my 17, 18, I started uh, doing oxycodone, which ended up becoming too expensive and ultimately led me to using, you know, heroin. And so I actually ended up becoming addicted to heroin as well. And, you know, these are just to be completely honest, symptoms of an underlying issue, because whether it's, you know, the Coke or the alcohol or the benzos or food or scratch off tickets or, you know, being addicted to sex, which I was addicted to all of those things as well. I almost weighed 300 pounds at one time in my life. This was all just me medicating underlying issues. How were you experiencing life? when you were going through all of this, and I know this is a fairly long period of time that you're talking about, were you purely in escape or numb? Were you distracted? Were you understanding that you were addicted even as you were? Did you appreciate that your situation or your responses to trauma or pain were was escalating? Or was that just the way that it was. I was just trying to escape. You know, to be completely honest, my life was a train wreck. It was really, really miserable. And I had to take as many substances as I could on a daily basis just to like make it through my days. You know, I was always a good guy and I've always been an empath and I've I've always wanted to do well with myself, but I was so engulfed in my addiction because I just didn't know how to deal with life on life's terms. I didn't have, you know, the processing of the loss of my father. And then, you know, through my years of substance abuse, other traumatic things happened to me that, you know, I just kept stuffing and stuffing. Listen, this is for everybody, men and women. But I, I believe that, you know, in the society that we live in, especially being men, we're taught, you know, like, don't show any emotions. Emotions make you weak. Just keep moving forward. And that's not how we're supposed to live as human beings. And I think that that's one of the reasons why psychedelic medicines had such a profound healing effect on me was, you know, it really took me to the place where I could watch these traumatic experiences, deal with and process the deaths of my father, you know, having, you know, profound experiences where I had a death-like scenario during my psychedelic experience. And I had very profound insights about, you know, myself in the universe and, and how everything is all connected. It kind of really helped me process through those things. And, you know, as, as our amazing doctor, Dr. Andrew Ferber would say, stop identifying with the self so much. And we're going to talk a lot more about those spiritual experiences later in the episode. There's something that you said, though, a few minutes ago, actually a couple of things that I want to take a minute to explore. As you were talking about social expectations around men and emotions, I couldn't help but think, especially in light of the fact that you described yourself as an empath, which I have come to accept about myself too, sometimes for better or worse, which is that if you have empathy 
feelings can overwhelm you or events can overwhelm you because you really, really feel them. And without tools, then in a way, it's almost like the empathy becomes that curse that you need to learn how to manage in order to be able to be functional when you're dealing with trauma. And it's hard for me to imagine with the brain not fully functioning in any human being when they're six years old, let alone having had the life experience and the analytical framework to begin to self-analyze emotions, to identify oneself as an empath, to be able to even really be cognizant of the feelings that one might have, that in a way, social expectations, which, at least in my case, around gender, were nailed into people when you're pretty young, could easily be overwhelming and set one up for this sort of situation. But is that just me saying this, or or do you have any insight about that having lived it? No, you know, I completely, you know, agree and, and feel with what you're saying. I've always been the person where, like, I could literally look across the room and I could feel somebody's pain. Like, that's how tapped into being an empath I was. And, and you know, and, like, I was always a very sensitive child, too. I, I was, you know, I it, like I always cared what people thought, and it was easy for me to get emotional about things. Here's my conclusion of it, is that being an empath is actually a superpower once you learn how to harness it properly, you know? But for so many years, I had no idea how to do that. So I just kept, like I said, you know, just completely drowning myself in alcohol and other substances to not have to feel those feelings. So I had used psychedelic compounds when I was younger, but I wasn't using them for the therapeutic value. I was just, you know, taking copious amounts of psychedelic compounds to try to escape. And it was actually like, you know, through the the synchronicity of the universe that, uh, you know, a buddy of mine had came over and he had some ketamine and we had done some MDMA that night. And it was like the perfect storm. You know, I had taken some of the MDMA and then uh, right when it was starting to get ready to kick in, my buddy hands me some ketamine. And, you know, listen, I, I know I'm talking about recreational psychedelic use here. Uh, this isn't what I'm promoting out of our clinic, but, you know, this is a part of my story and it's a very real thing. So I did some of the ketamine right when the MDMA was starting to kick in and I looked around the room and I looked at everybody that was in it and I said, listen, if I didn't know what the universe was about before, I know what it's about now. I said, everything's made of energy. I go, you've got positive energy and negative energy. And I'm so full of positive energy. I looked around, everything broke down to a quantum state where I could literally see the atoms vibrating and everything. And at that moment, I truly knew that everything was made of energy. I sat down in the chair, a geometric portal started opening above me in the ceiling where I was slingshotted out of my body out into deep space. I thought I died. And I was looking around and I saw like stars and galaxies. And then I looked down and I was a being made of light. Now, during this, you know, experience, I was whether you want to call them angels or higher dimensional beings, there were some of them there. And I was telepathically spoke to about how I needed to get my life together. I was supposed to heal so I could help people heal. 
And listen, I am not a religious person. I am a very spiritual person. But my experience was that Jesus ended up being there. And I reached out and I put my hand on Jesus's arm. And it was this explosion of the most loving euphoric feeling that I had ever felt in my entire life. And from that moment forward, I knew that everything was going to be okay, no matter what. And, you know, like, and I want to retouch that, like, I am not out here preaching or I am not out here, you know, telling anybody like, you know, I have a certain religious belief because I don't. But this was the night that really changed my life in a lot of ways. And unfortunately, I didn't get myself together immediately after that. When I came down back to my body, I had nobody to integrate my experience with, which is why integration is such an intricate part of the healing journey with psychedelic compounds. And, you know, I ended up going back out and kind of doing the same thing that I was doing, escaping, because I even felt more alone than I did before that experience. And, you know, it was actually with going through relapses again later on, I had another profound psychedelic experience with psilocybin mushrooms. So let's hold on for a second. We're going to talk about all of this in a little bit more detail. But before we get into any of that, you did make an important point that I want to underline, which is that the experience that you just described with MDNA and ketamine is not one that I'm hearing you say confirm or not that you would recommend for other folks because it was recreational. I just want to make sure that if you feel like there's a risk associated with practicing the way that you were, um, that the audience understands that. But if you disagree with me, also, I need you to take a second and voice that disagreement. So here's what I would like to say. I am not telling anybody that they should go out and use psychedelics recreationally or any other drugs recreationally. As a matter of fact, you know, this is one of the most beautiful things about having a clinic like ours is you can come and do psychedelic therapy legally in a safe setting where there's medical professionals looking after you. I do, on the other hand, think that there is a large potential in the future to have a mixture of psychedelic compounds to create a perfect storm. There is other compounds out there that have been mixed recreationally, but I think that in the future, you will see a mixture of compounds being used in the therapeutic way also. And because the audience listening to or watching this episode may not be very deep into the psychedelic world. Could you explain what MDNA and ketamine are? So MDMA is better known as ecstasy or molly. It's a very euphoric, uh, like loving or heart opening compound where, you know, they're actually having amazing results in clinical studies uh, with PTSD for veterans and first responders. I actually think that the potential for it to be used as a couples therapy drug in the future or couples therapy medicine, I try to get away from that drug word because these are medicines when used properly, but it really gives the ability for people to let their guard down and talk about things that they normally wouldn't talk about. You know, it's about to go through FDA approval if everything's looking uh, correct with it. Rick Doblin from MAPS has really, you know, been working the last 35 years to have this go through FDA approval for the therapeutic value of it. And I think it's an incredibly important compound that's going to help transform a lot of lives out there. So ketamine is a dissociative anesthetic. It was actually 
FDA approved in 1970 as an anesthetic. You might have heard of it as, you know, Special K or maybe a horse tranquilizer because, yes, it was abused in in the party scene, in the rave scene. And it is actually used on horses and other animals, but because the safety profile is so amazing. So it's actually one of the safest, least toxic, if not the safest, least toxic anesthetics on the market. It's so safe that they use it on children one and a half and older for surgeries. And that being said, it is having profound healing potential when people take it for the therapeutic value. When people get into a disassociated state, it basically means it's when the mind separates from the body. And it's taking down the active blocks that are holding past repressed traumatic experiences so people can truly process, release them, and let them go. And a lot of people don't actually understand the psychedelic potential of ketamine, but when used in a psychedelic dosing protocol with what we're seeing with intramuscular shots of the medicine at our clinic, people are having some of the most profound psychedelic experiences that a human being can have. Sometimes people do have divine experiences where they say they meet God or the creator of everything, or they can feel themselves in the presence of it. Sometimes people speak with deceased relatives during their treatments. I had one of our clients whose son died about 14 months ago from a fentanyl overdose, and during all six of her treatments, she spent time with her son. Uh, Sometimes people will actually go back to a past traumatic experience that they've been through, watch it play out from a third-party perspective where there's no feelings attached to it, so they can process it, release it, and let it go. An example of this is a combat veteran we're treating right now. And during his first treatment with us, he actually spoke to his grandmother, who passed away when he was six then went back to active duty where he watched like over his own shoulder and the guy he was with got shot through the heart. He took a heart shot and he went back and processed and realized that there was nothing else that he could have done to save this guy's life. And then during the same experience, he went back and spent time with his grandmother again and came out of that session and he was bawling tears saying, I spoke to my grandmother. She says that everything's going to be okay. I went back to active duty. I know that there's nothing else that I could have done to save this guy's life. And it really helped him move forward in his healing journey. You know, through the process of six treatments with integration at our clinic, people are saying that they're achieving anywhere from 10 to 20 years worth of talk therapy. This is simply astounding. All I can say is thank you so much for sharing these stories. It suffice it to say it makes a case as to why you might be interested in ketamine as a business and as a healing modality for yourself. And we're going to get to that a little bit more. But before we go back to your own story and what led you to do what you're doing now, let's talk briefly about exactly what's going on from a scientific perspective when someone is following a ketamine protocol. The spiritual dimension, seeing God or Jesus or third-party, almost like astral projections, all of those things are part of it, and we're going to deal with that in more detail later. But purely from a physiological perspective, what is happening that may explain this? So whenever we've gone through a traumatic experience in our life, or, or even just through the course of life, our neuropathways in our brain actually get damaged. And when the neurons are trying to flow through these pathways, they actually start to bounce off of the walls, which can cause the symptoms of depression, 
anxiety, PTSD, and a string of other things. Ketamine is actually going in and it's physiologically remapping and restructuring these neuropathways, sprouting something called new dendrites, causing new neural connections in the brain. It's causing new neuroplasticity, which basically think of your mind like a, like a ski slope, okay? Like a mountain that has these tracks that people have been skiing down years after, you know, for, you know, track after track, same tracks, same tracks. Think of new neuroplasticity as like a new layer of snow going over that. And then it allows you to put new tracks into place, meaning, and here's my analogy that I give people, it's a control alt delete for the old program that no longer serves us. And it allows us to put a new program into place. And this is why we teach people about meditation, breath work, healthy lifestyle changes, because we're literally reprogramming the mind to do these healthy things with our lives. You know, as cliche as it sounds, if nothing changes, nothing changes. So, you know, you can come in, you can do ketamine treatments, you'll feel better. But, you know, this if we're not actually making these changes in our lives, ultimately, you're just going to go back to where you were before. Your description of what happens in the brain, by the way, very closely mirrors some of the social media posts and whiteboards that WebDelix has produced regarding what's happening physiologically. So thank you for putting it so well. It really helps all of the different ways that people might be able to take in this information, support each other. Now, what you've described is a externally viewed brain phenomenon, but do we have any idea from a scientific perspective what might be explaining these visions that you or other folks that you've talked about might be seeing? Or is that a mystery? Honestly, there's a lot of different theories out there. Dr. Ferber, our our head uh, psychiatrist and medical director, says it's a movie of the mind, you know, and and I don't know what my true hypothesis is. I think that I think there's actually a lot more to it. You know, I like this is probably another conversation for another time. But I think that, you know, there's something in our brain called the pineal gland. And, uh, you know, a Tesla talked about it being like our like Wi-Fi to the universe. And I do think that there's a lot more than meets the eye, meaning that there might be different dimensional planes or different frequencies that we can actually tap into. And, you know, Dr. Rick Strassman actually talks about this. He's uh, the clinical researcher, or he's the doctor that did the first clinical studies with uh, DMT at the University of Mexico in the 90s. And basically, you know, your pineal gland, it's basically um, what they call, you know, the, the house of God, or, or it's, uh, you know, you, your pineal gland pr- actually naturally produces DMT, which is referred to as the spirit molecule. And it's my belief, actually, that we can tap into these different frequencies when this is activated. A lot of fascinating and deep stuff here. But before we go too far astray, let's get back to your personal story. You said that you continued to escalate in your addictive behaviors until you had an experience with psilocybin. Yes. Mushrooms. What happened? I had actually had a dimethyltryptamine experience pre the psilocybin one. And this was the night that I actually quit using heroin. Okay. It was from a DMT experience. I quit using heroin like that. I had a profound experience with some interdimensional travel or whatever you would like to call it, where I went to a place where there was all of these beings and they were cheering and chanting for me and telling me it wasn't too late and that I could do it. And I had went into that session with the intention of quitting heroin. It's like what I wanted to do. I set my intention 
And the universe gave me the strength to actually do that. You know, so I went and detoxed myself from that. I was still using cocaine and alcohol after that experience. And I had always heard Terrence McKenna. He was, a, you know, a psychonaut and, uh, and an amazing individual that did a lot of, you know, public speaking about psychedelics and, you know, consciousness and things like that. I had always heard him talk about this five gram trip. You know, take five grams of psilocybin mushrooms, meditate in the dark pitch silence, and, you know, it'll tap you into these higher states of consciousness where you'll learn about the secrets of the universe. And so, you know, me being the overachiever that I was, was like, okay, I'm going to take six grams just to make sure I get the job done. <laughs> and uh, sure enough, I, I went into my bedroom and I meditated under the comforter in pitch black silence. And all of the sudden... I started to leave my body and I started to journey out into outer space or the universe. And then all of a sudden I became one with the universe. I became one with everyone and everything. And then I became one with God. And then all of a sudden I was God. And then after that, I started coming back down into my body. And right when I actually got completely back into my body, it was like this light switch went off in my head. And I was like, oh, my gosh, every time that I'm taking drugs and alcohol, I'm literally poisoning God. It was like this shell shock experience. I was so emotional. It was this just emotional purge where I was crying and I got out of bed and I got on my knees and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I was apologizing to, you know, God and the universe and me because we're all a part of it. We're all it. You know, from that night, I actually realized, you know, that like this was what my and my belief is. I'm not trying to sell it on anybody, but that we're all one, that we're all it. We're all one with consciousness or God or whatever label you want to put on it. And coming out of that experience, I was like, okay, well, I'm not scared to die anymore. I'm not scared of death, which was one of my biggest things because I had a crippling fear of death because my dad died when I was so young. And then I was like, okay, so now that I know that we're all a part of it and we're all it, I should probably start treating myself like the extension of the divine that I truly am. So I started going to the gym. I started eating healthier. I started meditating. I started doing breath work. All of the healthy lifestyle practices that we encourage people to take part in at our clinic here. And it really started to propel my life forward in a very positive direction. So then what I did was, you know, I started thinking to myself, well, I was one of the unhealthiest people on the planet for the majority of my life. Time to completely flip that switch and become one of the healthiest. I started eating all organic, non-GMO, drinking spring water. All of these things, which to me was raising my vibration. I could actually feel it happening. And so, you know, I came to this conclusion where it's like, I'm going to treat life like it's a video game. And the object of this video game is to level up. And in doing so, by getting to these next levels, it's going to buy me, it's going to happen by me taking my crutches out of the equation. You know, like I used to drink diet soda and I used to vape and I used to do all of these other things. And I was like, you know, I'm going to start taking one of those out of the equation and then I'm going to start implementing one healthy practice 
practice into my life to replace that. And let me tell you, it was like a day and night scenario. I completely, I was happy for the first time in my life. I loved myself for the first time in my life. You know, this is coming from a guy who couldn't even look in the mirror for most days because I couldn't stand myself. One of the most profound things that psychedelic medicines did for me was give me the ability to actually love myself for the very first time. There is so much in what you just said, and it's so affecting. I'm stretching myself to even fully wrap my arms around it. So let me just throw some things out that are coming to mind that's stuck out to me personally, although in light of everything that you said, I think a lot of people watching or listening will have different things stick out to them. First of all, these beings that you saw, they were cheering you on and they were saying, it's not too late. How old were you, Charles? I think I was around 30 at that time. I'm, I'm, I'm turning 41 in July, so it was probably about, no, maybe I was like 32 or something like that, 32, 33. Congratulations. It really goes as to something that people experience, which is that they've gone too far or that their life, too much time has passed and that change or healing aren't possible. These beings were telling you it was, it's not too late and you were age 32. We're going to have a guest on this show by the name of Sheila Pearl, who started her psychedelic experiences, I think, at age 80 or late 70s. And she's completely made transformations and changes that a lot of people in the aging process can't even imagine. So I want to thank you for landing your finger right on that and sharing that part of your story. Let's also talk a little bit about this concept of poisoning God. Because when I go and live through life day to day, I may do a million different petty things that are mean to other people, not even trying to be mean, but like, let's say I snap at the grocery store clerk because the line was too slow, or I get a call from some telemarketer who's irritating me and I might just hang up on him, right? These things that are maybe emotional reactions in the moment, but they are hurting another human being. If we're all connected, if, as you are saying, these were revealing that you're one with God, all of our actions day to day, you are taking it perhaps to a personal extreme, but not as extreme as a lot of people are out there in the world. You weren't bombing entire other countries, for instance. You weren't slaughtering hundreds of thousands of citizens in a war, but still, you were doing significant poison to yourself. This goes as to something on a metaphysical level and in terms of how we think of and treat people that is a lot more expansive than I've been exposed to as a spiritual matter ever. You know, I completely believe that these medicines have the capability of ending racism, ending war. You know, listen, like, that was one of the most profound things that happened to me that that first night that I was talking about with the MDMA and ketamine was, was I had received that message that we are all one. Like I, I didn't know how to process it, but like when I came back, I was, I used to be like, you know, so insecure and so scared in my life and, and put this persona and I wore this mask on where I like, you know, I was like, like, you know, like I, I was a bad, like I was a, somebody not to be messed with, you know, like, yeah. like, you know, like, don't, don't look at me too long because you're, you're stirring up my fear. So I'm going to act out to make you scared. And I realized that I have to love everybody now. 
because I am you and you are me and we are one. And that was profound is an understatement, you know, because see where I'm at now is I realize that. So we're all mirrors of each other. If I see something that you're doing and it disrupts or disturbs or makes me feel uneasy in myself, it's usually something I need to work on myself. And so, you know, it's like I came back with this, you know, I am the I am and so are you. We're all it. And it showed me that we could pretty much accomplish anything. We could manifest anything that we wanted to into our lives because we're all extensions of the divine. And I think that raising your vibration or cleansing, you know, when they say cleanliness is next to godliness, I don't think they're talking about cleaning your room. (laughs) I think it's about our temple, you know. And so when we started this company, Christina is my fiance and she's, you know, the owner and founder of the company. And I was in the electronics industry and I was at a trade show in Mexico and I was talking to people about, you know, psilocybin and MDMA and, you know, all of these other healing compounds and nobody knew what I was talking about. Everybody was looking at me like I had three heads, right? So I came back from the, to the trade, from the trade show and I sat down with her and our son, Charlie was six months old at the time. And I said, so listen, I want to quit my jobs. Like, let, let's, let, let me quit my jobs and let's, let's start a wellness center where we can, you know, teach people about, you know, meditation and yo- we can do yoga classes and all of these kind of things. And hopefully we can get into psychedelic therapy one day. We'll start with ketamine because I had some very healing experiences off ketamine. And that is not what your fiance wants to hear you say when you have a six month old baby. You're going to quit your jobs and take a leap of faith to start a company. I can only imagine. (laughs) I was like, listen, if I don't use what helped me to help other people, it was a waste of 20 years of my life. You know, what did I go through before then? And so reluctantly at first, she was like, all right, you know what? I believe in you. I, I think that we could do this. Let's do it. And it was basically like the universe whipped, waved a magic wand. You know, we took the leap of faith. We opened our clinic a week before the lockdown of COVID, which was crazy in itself, because it's like, okay, we take this leap of faith, we're in business for one week, and then all of a sudden, the world shuts down. So but we were an essential business. I use the laws of attraction in my life, I believe that we're magnets, and we receive what we put out. So I said, listen, we're just going to live in our bubble. We are going to put positive energy out into the universe. And we're just going to keep moving forward and putting helping people first. And now it's about a little over three years later, and we've done around 6,000 ketamine treatments from our facility. We have an astronomically high success rate of getting people off antidepressants, benzodiazepines like Xanax, antipsychotic medications like Seroquel. We're getting people off of fentanyl, cocaine, other street drugs. We're getting people away from alcohol abuse issues. And, you know, we really care this is my purpose. It's my purpose to be of service. It's my purpose to help people. And this is another reason because of the oneness of everything or the absolute or whatever you want to call it, that we started a nonprofit organization called the Warriors of Consciousness. And what we do is we raise money for people that can't afford psychedelic ketamine therapy. Up to date, just the other day, we actually hit 57 people. So we have treated 57 people 
from our clinic that couldn't afford treatments, you know, including our veteran community, our first responder community, people with substance abuse issues. You know, the guy who's on the side of the street holding up a sign looking for his next meal needs access to this medicine just as much as the person that can afford the treatments as long as they have the intention of healing and they're ready to make the change. Yeah, so then I have to tie in together a few things then that we've talked about so far because this is all wrapping up into a package that's big. You said briefly a minute ago, you think psychedelics could help cure racism. Interestingly enough, you're the second guest to say that. We had an entire episode basically devoted to that with a guest named Nathaniel Brown, who made the case from an African-American perspective about how this these substances, by allowing people to set themselves free and step into their entire selves, were also empowering people to completely transform their role in how society viewed them and to connect with that inner humanity that ties us all together. You're talking about things that are addictive or that poison us as poisoning God. If we accept the premise that racism is a poison, that racism inherently separates you and me and anyone else that we decide is of a different race, and I put race in the word in quotes, because we're all one race anyway. But if it is something that separates us, we're separating ourselves from God. You talked earlier about empathy as a superpower, your own empathy, your addiction suppressing empathy. Psychedelics, I'm hearing, are magnifying your empathy. And now you're bringing that to the homeless person on the street. Charles, I worked in the social services sector for years. I worked for two organizations that dealt in the homeless space. People look at the homeless as different than you and me. They have that wall of separation, that block of empathy. They do not see the casual meanness that I was talking about earlier that I might show to the cashier in the grocery store, uh, to homeless people as poisoning God because of that separation. Everything that you're saying is ultimately tying back into that. Listen, I know this is going to sound far out there, but on ketamine, like when we opened the clinic, I had Dr. Ferber put me through the protocol that we were going to be putting our clients through because I really wanted to relate to them and go through the entire protocol so we could, you know, and by the way, everybody that works at our clinics done the treatments. Everybody that works at our clinic it has a background in other and using other psychedelic compounds on their own healing journey. But I'm going to tell you one of the most profound things I've ever said or told anybody before, and I don't tell this to everybody, but here it is. During one of my experiences on ketamine, I sunk back into the chair, and then all of a sudden I sunk into this vibrational field. Okay. And it was like, it was a big giant rainbow field. It was like the cover of the Pink Floyd album with the rainbow and the prism kind of shooting like this. The dark side of the moon. Look, even though I'm only 22, I remember that album cover. (laughs) It's an amazing, amazing band, amazing album. But I sunk into the field and I was there vibrating, connected to everything in a complete state of oneness. All right. And then all of a sudden, I manifested out of the field and I look around and I'm a different person 
in a different body, in a different house, with a different family. And then I was like, nope, this isn't me. And I go, and I folded back into the energy field again. And then all of a sudden, I folded back out of the energy field. Different person, different body, different house, different family. And it happened to me like three or four times. And then all of a sudden, I manifested back into this body as being Charles. And I was like, okay, I'm back. Now, anything separate from that energy field, which is what we manifest out of, is a concept. Charles is a concept. You know, char- like saying that, you know, I'm Charles and I'm 40 years old and I used to have substance abuse issues and now I have a ketamine clinic. That's just a concept. Anything separate from the oneness or I am or the absolute of everything is to conceptualize that we're something separate from it. Separation is an illusion. And that is why I think that psychedelics can do all of these things like end racism and wars and do all of these amazing things. Because once you realize that, you know, I am the I am, and so are you, and we're all it, well, then there is no separation. We're all just, you know, we're just all in this together. It's my conclusion that we break ourselves down into the droplets of water in the ocean of consciousness and put ourselves to sleep to forget who we truly are so we can experience the experience of life. This is the dream of life. And, you know, I woke up from my psychedelic use. I had an awakening experience. And now I'm lucid dreaming. It's impossible to argue that poverty can be a traumatic experience. It's, though, easy to argue, and many people do, that concern about poverty or wanting to help those that are in poverty, particularly those that may have mental illness or may seem to have set themselves up in this, to be in the situation in which they're impoverished through drug addiction or through criminal activities or whatever. It may be very easy to simply say, well, that's your life. That's your problem. It's not my concern. But if every single time we're poisoning the world that we live in with our feeling states, with our actions, with our neglect, poisoning God, we're one with God. What you're saying is that the trauma of those that are facing economic disadvantage, allowing that to go on, is literally hurting themselves. This isn't about tree hugging. This is about, as I'm hearing you, self-preservation or our own health. Am I expressing this correctly? Am I getting it? Because this is deep. Listen, I'm right here with you. And and the truth is, you know, listen, I, I, I don't know if our listeners have, uh, you know, know who Ram Dass is, but Ram Dass said it pretty much better than anybody I know could. He just said, we're all just here to walk each other home. You know, psychedelic medicines have the capability of healing generational trauma. And this is what keeps people stuck in these loops through generation and generation. And, you know, I don't, I won't get into what it was, but like I had generational trauma in my family and it was passed down through generations. 
And then all of a sudden I had this overwhelmingly loving feeling for myself for the first time in my life. And now that generational trauma ends with me. Like I'm not passing that on to my son. My son's three and a half years old and he meditates and he does breath work and he says, I am affirmations. Like I am grateful. Really? I am happy and I am love. And I, and like, we're, I'm teaching him at a young age where it, it ends with me. He's going to be, you know, he says he's, a, I am a warrior and I believe in myself. And like, that's what we're teaching in my family now, you know? Well, and that story, I love it. Thank you for sharing that. It's actually kind of made my day. It's so adorable. I don't even know what to do with myself. But let me pull a takeaway from it, which is that what you're offering in how you're describing the impact of the psychedelic renaissance on those that are economically disadvantaged and suffering because of that is revolutionary, not just in helping people to feel better and overcome whatever it is that they that might have led them to be on the streets or or in whatever addiction situation that they're in in life but also can completely transform how we as a society structure ourselves because let's face it then if we understand each other really as reflections of ourselves and if even those that might have these traumas have an easily accessible tool to be able to pull themselves out of them a lot of the scourges of our society either are going to resolve themselves or those that benefit or at least are not directly dragged down by these scourges nonetheless simply because of this multiplied empathy can't tolerate to keep it going anymore the way it is. Do you have any final takeaway? I was just going to say, you know, I think we're going from a hierarchical society to more of a heterarchy. I think it's going to be more of a level playing field. It's, uh, it's, it's hard having one of these kinds of profound experiences where you realize the connectedness of everything. And, you know, you're, you're really going to start looking at other people because there are no other people a lot differently because, you know, we're all it. And one of my things that I really do say when I get done, you know, speaking like this or, or doing a podcast or talking with people is, is really what my belief is, is that, you know, I am the I am and so are you. So the key to life is to observe without judgment and remember that the answer is always love. And that's how you change the world. And again, as someone who worked in the social services space, let me assure you, we need more of that. Charles, how can people find out more about you? On Facebook, I'm Charles Patty, P-A-T-T-I. Uh, on Instagram, I am Charles underscore Patty underscore official. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn at Charles Patty or at Myself Wellness in Bonita Springs, Florida. Our website is www.myselfwellness.com. And uh, please don't hesitate to reach out if you have any questions. I, I love talking and meeting new people or talking to and meeting new people. And, uh, you know, we're really here to assist and hold people's hands through their healing journeys. Charles, to say that this episode has been profound is, in my opinion, to understate things a little bit. In addition to some of the upcoming episodes that we discussed during our conversation today. We have additional episodes that will be discussing everything from psychedelics and yoga 
to how psychedelics can help you stop being a toxic boss. Even an episode on how to prepare for your first psychedelic journey. It is incredible stuff, and I cannot wait to share it with any and everyone who is watching and listening today. If you have enjoyed today's episode and want to learn more, be sure to subscribe and leave a review on your favorite audio podcast platform or a positive remark on YouTube. And don't forget to tell the folks that you know, love, and care about about what we're doing here at WebDelix because they need to know as well. Also, please follow WebDelix on all of our social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, TikTok, and don't hesitate for a single second to check out the website itself, webdelix.com. That's W-E-B-D-E-L-I-C-S.com. Sign up for our blog for the most trusted information on the web about psychedelics and plant medicine. And then be sure to come back again for another episode of the WebDelix Podcast. Delix podcast exists to educate, illuminate, and inform. It does not provide medical advice or recommendations as to any course of treatment, mental health or otherwise. You should always consult with a physician or other licensed healthcare professional, mental health or otherwise, before pursuing any personal growth program or course of treatment.